0: Section 44 of The Toilers of the Sea by Victor Hugo. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Chapter 4 In Which Captain Clubin Displays All His Qualities Every one turned round. It was the captain addressing the helmsman. Sieur Clubin was not in the habit of calling any one Thou. For him to hurl such an apostrophe at helmsman Tancroide. Clibain must have been very angry or he must have desired to appear so an outburst of wrath at the proper time relieves one of responsibility and sometimes transfers it the captain standing on the bridge between the two paddle-boxes was gazing steadily at the helmsman he repeated between his teeth drunkard Worthy the hung his head the fog bank had grown larger It now occupied nearly half of the horizon. It was advancing in every direction at once. There is something of the nature of a drop of oil in fog. This fog spread insensibly. The wind bore it on without haste, without noise. It was gradually taking possession of the ocean. It came from the northwest, and the vessel had it on the bows. It was like a vast, vague, moving cliff. It was cut out upon the sea like a wall. There was a definite point where the immense expanse of water entered beneath the fog and disappeared. This point of entrance into the fog was still about a half a league distant. If the wind changed, they might be able to avoid entering the fog, but it must change at once. The half-league interval was filling up and decreasing visibly. The Durand was moving forward, the fog was also advancing. It was coming towards the ship, and the ship was going towards it. Clubin ordered them to put on more steam and sheer off to the east. In this manner they skirted the fog for a while, but it continued to advance. Nevertheless, the ship was still in the full sunlight. Time was lost in these maneuvers, which could hardly prove successful. Night comes on quickly in February. The Guernsey man watched the fog. He said to the St. Mallow man, That's an ugly fog. A nasty thing at sea, observed one of the St. Mallow men. The other St. Mallow man added, That's what spoils a trip. The Guernsey man approached Clubin. Captain Clubin, I am afraid that we shall get caught in the fog. Clubin replied, I wanted to remain at St. Malo, but I was advised to sail. Who advised you? Some of the old sailors. In fact, resumed the Guernsey man, you did right to sail. Who knows whether there will not be a tempest tomorrow? At this season one may wait and only find it worse." A few minutes later the Durand entered the fog-bank. It was a singular instant. All at once those who were at the stern could not see those who were at the bow. A soft gray partition cut the boat in two. Then the whole vessel plunged into the fog. The sun was no longer anything but a sort of exaggerated moon. Everyone suddenly began to shiver with the cold. The passengers put on their overcoats and the sailors their pea jackets. The sea, which was almost without a ripple, had the cold menace of tranquillity. It seems as though there were something to be apprehended from this excess of calm. All was wan and pallid. The black smokestack and the black smoke contended with the livid mist which enshrouded the vessel. Deviation to the east was henceforth useless, and the captain again directed the ship's head towards Guernsey, and put on more steam. The Guernsey passenger, as he prowled around the engine-room, heard the negro Imbram Khan talking to his mate, the fireman. The passenger listened. The negro was saying, "'This morning, in the sunlight, we went slowly. Now in the fog we are going fast.' The Guernsey man went back to Sir Clubin. "'Captain Clubin, there is no cause for anxiety, but are we not carrying too much steam?' what would you have, sir? We must certainly make up for the time lost by that drunkard of a helmsman. That is true, Captain." And Clubin added, "'I am in haste to arrive. The fog is enough. Night would be too much.' The Guernsey man rejoined the St. Malo passengers and said to them, "'We have an excellent captain.' At intervals great surges of fog, which one have said had been carded shut down heavily and concealed the sun. Then it reappeared, paler and as though ailing. The little which could be seen of the heavens resembled the strips of painted sky, dirty and spotted with oil, of an old theatrical stage scenery. The Durand passed close to a cutter which had prudently cast anchor. It was the Chaletil of Guernsey. The skipper of the cutter noticed the Durand's high rate of speed. It also struck him that she was not in her exact course. She seemed to be bearing too much to the west. This ship, under full speed in the fog, astonished him. Towards two o'clock the fog was so thick that the captain was forced to quit the bridge and get nearer the helmsman. The sun had vanished. All was fog. A sort of white obscurity reigned on board the Durand. She sailed in diffused pallor. The sky was no longer visible, neither was the sea. There was not a breath of wind. The can of turpentine suspended under the footbridge between the paddle boxes did not even oscillate. The passengers had become silent. Still the Parisian hummed between his teeth Beranger's song, Un jour le bon Dieu s'éveillant, one day the good God waking. One of the St. Malo passengers addressed him. Monsieur comes from Paris? Yes, monsieur. Il met la tête à la fenêtre. He thrusts his head out of the window. What are they doing in Paris now? Leur planète a peri, peut-être. Their planet may have perished. Monsieur, in Paris, everything is going at sixes and sevens. Then it is on land as it is on the sea. Tis true that we have an infernal fog here, and one which may cause disasters!" The Parisian exclaimed. "'But why disasters? In what way, disasters? What purpose do disasters serve? Tis like the conflagration at (laughs) Odeon. That reduced whole families to beggary, is that just? Stay, sir, I do not know what your religion is, but I am not satisfied." "'Neither am I,' said the St. Mallow Man. All that happens here below seems to be out of gear. I have an idea that the good God is not in it." The St. Malo man scratched the top of his head like someone making an effort to understand. The Parisian continued, "'The good God is absent. There ought to be a decree to force God to take up his permanent residence here. He is at his country house and does not trouble himself about us. So everything goes wrong.' it is evident my dear sir that the good god is no longer at the seat of government that he is on a vacation and that the vicar some seminary angel some idiot with the wings of a sparrow is conducting affairs moineux sparrow was mispronounced moigneux after the manner of a street arab captain clubin who had stepped up to the two talkers laid his hand on the parisian shoulder Hush, said he. Take heed to your word, sir. We are at sea." No one uttered another word. At the expiration of five minutes the Guernsey man, who had heard all, muttered in the ear of the St. man, And a religious captain! It was not raining, but their clothing felt damp. They were only sensible of the progress they made through an increase of discomfort. They seemed to be entering into sadness. Fog causes silence on the ocean, it lulls the waves to sleep, and stifles the wind. Amid that silence there was something indescribably uneasy and plaintive about the hoarse breathing of the Durande. They no longer met any vessels. If in the distance, either in the direction of Guernsey or of St. Malo, there were still any ships on the sea outside of the fog, the Durande, submerged in the fog, was not visible to them and its long trail of smoke, attached to nothing, produced the effect of a black comet in a white sky. All at once Clibin exclaimed, "'Scoundrel! You have just steered wrong! You want to ruin us! You deserve to be put in irons! Begone, you drunken rascal!' And he seized the helm. The humiliated helmsman took refuge among the sailors forward. The Guernsey man said, "'We are saved!' they continued to advance rapidly. Towards three o'clock the under part of the fog began to lift, and they saw the sea once more. "'I don't like the looks of that,' said the Guernsey Man. The fog could, in fact, be lifted only by the sun or the wind, if by the sun it is well. By the wind it is not so well. Now it was too late for the sun. The sun grows weak at three o'clock in February. A rise in the wind, at that critical point in the day, is not desirable. It is often the forerunner of a tempest. However, if there was any breeze, it was hardly perceptible. Clubin, with his eye on the binnacle, grasping the helm and steering, was muttering between his teeth such words as the following, which reached the passengers' ears, No time to lose! That drunkard has delayed us! but his countenance was utterly devoid of expression. The sea was less calm beneath the fog. Several waves were visible. Patches of glassy light floated by on the water. These patches of light on the waves cause mariners' anxiety. They indicate holes pierced by the wind in the ceiling of the fog above. The fog lifted and closed in again, more dense than ever. At times the density was complete the vessel was caught in a regular flow of fog at intervals this redoubtable circle opened partway like a claw allowed a small view of the horizon then closed again the guernsey man armed with his telescope stood sentinel on the bow of the vessel a clearing came then closed the guernsey man wheeled round thoroughly frightened captain clubin what's the matter we are steering straight for the hanways "'You are mistaken,' said Clubin coldly. The Guernsey man persisted. "'I am sure of it.' "'Impossible. "'I just saw the rocks on the horizon. "'Where?' "'Yonder.' "'That is the open sea. "'Impossible.' And Clubin kept the vessel directed towards the point indicated by the passenger. The Guernsey man seized his telescope again. A moment later he ran to the stern. "'Captain!' "'Well?' "'Tack, ship!' "'Why?' I am sure I have seen a rock, very high and very near. It is the great Hanway. You must have seen some thicker fog-bank. It is the great Hanway, tack ship, in the name of heaven! Clubin gave the helm a turn. End of chapter 4 In which Captain Clubin displays all his qualities